You're listening to the Master Photography Roundtable Podcast. Hey there, guys. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable Podcast, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of other photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. My name's Connor Hibbs, and today I am the host of the show, joined by the ever awesome Jeff and Brian. How are you guys doing today? Good, Connor. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. I'm awake and... <laughs> that's good that feels like a feat today I, I i've been busy enough that that feels like really exciting well congrats on waking up thank you it's it's always a good day when you wake up in the morning so anyway today we have a handful of topics for you um coming from some photography news other fun stuff that we've been up to and the first one is stuff that obviously jeff is going to be telling us about because he is the lightroom master on the show and that is the fact that we have a a lightroom update that came out today is that correct yes yeah right as we record this yeah so it'll be a couple of days uh, when by the time people hear this episode, it'll be out a couple of days. Yeah. Well, what are some of the new features? What are some of the new things going on with this update? OK, so the new features, I'm interested to hear your feedback. So I know, Connor, you're not using Lightroom anymore. You switched to what was it on one? Uh, uh, Capture one. Yeah. So Capture I, one. I would if it gets good enough. Every time there's an update, I actually consider like, yeah, maybe I should go try it out again and see how it is. Um, so <laughs> depending on what you say today, maybe you can sway me to try it one more time. Okay. I doubt today's going to sway you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's going to, but I'm interested to hear if, if any things, these things are really important to you. Brian, you're still using Lightroom, aren't you? Yes, I still am. Okay. So I'm interested to hear from both of you what your feedback is on the new features. And so let's, let's start off the top there. The first one is folder color labels so this would be in like the library module you have on the left hand side you have the folders that you've imported photos from and they now support a feature where you can put a little tiny color next to the photo the idea would be that some people apparently this has been a very requested feature i i'm not sure it's not something that i think i care about but you could do something like uh, use some color codings to indicate like folders that you've you've edited or folders that you are in the middle of or folders that you don't, you know, you have all the colors, the same color labels that you have for your photos that you could yeah. do on the on the folders themselves. So what do you think, Brian? Is that something you, you care about? Well, when you first said that, I'm like, who cares? And <laughs> after looking at mine, uh, which, you know, mine are all by date, which is helpful for me. I thought, well... I do enough where I do sit there and scroll through to where it might be nice to have one color for sports, one color for weddings, sure. one color for travel. So although I didn't care, I'm like, eh, I might actually use that. Okay. Yeah, I, I actually think that that's a pretty useful feature personally, like especially just um, as a part of workflow. Being If you're somebody that shoots a lot and having different days or whatever, being able to um, color label just based on whether or not you've edited. Uh, w- one thing I wish that they had more is if I wish that they had more than just the colors that they had there. I wish that they had maybe six or seven different colors so you could do um, both of those ideas of having a workflow color coding system and a type of photography color coding sure. as well. Um, but if there's only what, four or five colors that kind of makes it hard to do both of those things. Okay. And, and maybe I'll be convinced once I go and use it, I've, I've got the, I've updated and I've, I've played around a little bit with it, but 
we'll see if it's something that that matters to me in my workflow. I tend to work more from collections than I do from photos from folders. Okay. So I don't spend a whole lot of time in folders at all. Um, I go as as part of the <laughs> um, import process. You of course have to pick where your photos are coming from. So, but other than that, I I don't spend a lot of time there. I spend my time in collections, and I do. I probably already kind of use I use color labels with the photos uh, to distinguish like the photos that my clients have uh, picked for me to work on and, and edit. Um, so I, I do incorporate color labels into the, the actual photos, but the collections have already kind of served the role to mark what I've done and what I haven't and, and how I'm, I'm doing stuff. And I, I did that primarily because collections are what sync to Lightroom cloud yeah, and not the folders. The folders didn't do anything there. So that's why that's the primary reason that I, I started to use collections a lot. So we'll see. I, I don't know if this will matter too much to me, but I could see where there were there might be some that this would be very helpful for your workflow. Yeah, this it seems like a not terribly hard thing to add in as a yeah, feature. It yeah. could be really useful to may a lot as of well, especially if a lot of people have asked for it. Then that's that's great. I, I like seeing any company that's responding to people making feature requests, and uh, when there's enough of them that say they want it, then you should go do it. In fact, just to bring it up real quick, the uh, the coal module I've been wanting. Adobe to add a coal module into Lightroom that would be kind of like photo mechanic right there inside of Lightroom. Yeah, super fast. Super fast. Just use the JPEG previews. Don't care about seeing a, a really high quality preview image. Um, make it go just blazingly fast. Do your culling process in there with the stars and colors. So if you want to vote for that, you can go over to bit.ly. That's bit.ly slash coal, C-U-L-L module. And, uh, and that'll sh- take you to the idea that I've created over in the Adobe forums. That's where they get these things to add new features. And you can go vote for it. It uh, doesn't have close to enough votes to, for Adobe to have even noticed it yet. So if you're listening and, and that's a module you'd like to see added to Lightroom, you think that would be helpful, then go do it. All right, next one is show, hide, presets, and profiles. So... Do both, Connor, when you used Lightroom, did yeah. you have a ton of presets? No, I, I had tons and tons that I had gotten gotten and collected. But I, I once in a while, if I needed color toning stuff, I would go in and look through there to get ideas. Um, but I, uh-huh. I don't really use presets hardly at all. Okay, Brian, how about you? I used presets in the very beginning. But honestly, now I think I kind of know uh, more of just, I like more of a crisp, uh, simple shot. and so. Maybe sometimes I I have one for, I know that if I'm shooting inside Lucas Oil here in Indianapolis, uh, I know that I'll use that preset. But other than that, no, I I don't. I don't play with them anymore. Okay, so this is a feature where it's uh, for people who use a lot of presets. And I the only time I've used them, I do have a bunch. Um, mostly were free presets, but some of them were like the ones that, that improve photography sold. And um, I bought those and... Um, <laughs> it was mainly to get kind of an idea. If I was working on an image and like, eh, I just, this one's not going how I want it. Then presets was a nice way to try to get some ideas, see what it would look like in different ways, really, really fast. So yeah. that was nice. And I do have this buildup because of those years, there's multiple years of the improved photography presets and, and some others that there was quite a list. So I actually probably will use this because I don't use all those presets. There are several of them that I, I just completely ignore yet. They all, in before this version of Lightroom, they all showed up every time, and you go manually remove them like from the hard drive so they wouldn't show up anymore. 
but um, this will make it so you can actually just manage them within Lightroom, turn them on and off. You can say, I want to see this in the dropdown of my presets or not. And then profiles is the new thing they added in the last update in the 7.3 update. That's kind of a, a way of doing presets without touching your sliders. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's really cool. It's a really nice feature. And it came with quite a few from Adobe. And then people are offering lots of lots and lots of uh, photographers, mainstream media photographers are offering free packs of pre- of profiles. And uh, it's become kind of a big thing and, and unwieldy. So they've, they've added that as a feature here. So I think that one could be, I know I'm going to use it. I'm going to go turn off a bunch of presets. So, <laughs> so that'll be good. Uh, next one was to disable the large preset preview. And this was a very welcome change for a lot of people in the 7.3 update from a couple months ago. But um, they've had a, enough cl- customers, enough users of Lightroom say that it's caused performance problems that they had to add a checkbox in the in Lightroom to turn it off. So what this is, is when you are going to use a preset or a profile, it now shows not in just a little thumbnail view, but it shows on the main, like if you're in the develop module, the full large image of your photo, what the preset or the profile is going to look like. And with some systems that was so slow, it made it so that profiles and presets were almost useless because they couldn't actually see the previews very well. So they've, uh, they've, Put it in there to Lightroom. Now you can turn it off on the large preset preview. Uh, automatic stack after merge is the next feature. So this would be after you do in Lightroom, if you do a merge of photos of Pano or HDR, then afterwards you can stack all of the photos that were involved in that merge into kind of one photo, uh, which is nice. This yeah. is a feature I would definitely use. I, I I've done a fair amount of Pano photography. In fact, a combination of pano and hdr and um i was manually doing this every time which is why customers were asking to have this feature after you do the pano merge the i don't know it would usually be somewhere between 10 and 15 shots that i would take um all of those would be like in that film strip view in the develop module and i wanted to know that i already used them for one and that was always hard for me to remember which ones i'd put into the the pano if i didn't remember to take pictures of my fingers yeah and uh and then and in case people don't know what i'm talking about there (laughs) one trick that you can use when you're doing a pano so that you know when it starts and when it ends uh, because you do it i've done it multiple times especially with hdr i put i take a picture of 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 my one finger pointed up as if i'm counting number one then i take all my panel shots and then i'll put up another finger of that says two so that I know I'm, I, that's the end of that panel shoot. And so then it's really easy in the film strip view to see where does a panel start, all the series of photos that are in the panel, and where does it end. So uh, now it'll stack automatically. If you, if you enable this checkbox, it will automatically stack all those photos that you just merged into like one photo, and you can tell in the film strip view that it's all stacked. It's a cool feature. I like that one. Yeah, that's that's definitely really cool. I, I do a fair amount of HDR stuff doing some real estate um stuff for corporate work and man when you have tons and tons of hdr shots that are bracketed like you can see but being able to um pull them all together into a single stack after merging that's that's really nice yeah it just tidies things up so that's a good one all right next feature hold on yeah go ahead question for you um yeah i've been doing a handful of panos over the past few years and i think it's when i'm doing the panos maybe it's with the hdr but it seems that every now and then when I go to uh, to save it. it. It actually, you know what? No, it's when I export a photo into Photoshop, 
and then I save it from Photoshop and it goes to put it back in Lightroom. Sometimes it will put it right next to that photo. But it seems as if sometimes it doesn't and I have to like uh-huh. re-import it. Even though it put it into my, you know, where the raw images were, I don't see it back in Lightroom. But sometimes I do. What, what am I doing wrong at that time? Okay, so do you ever use collections? No, I do not. Okay, so that's not it. Um, have sometimes a lot of the times when I don't see it right next to the photo, it's because it's actually now at the very end of the film strip. Right. And I've seen that at times, but it's like, sometimes it's the very next photo. Sometimes it goes to the end and sometimes it's just not not in there. And I have to go and kind of re-import just that one photo. Well, it sounds to me like a bug then that you've seen, because I don't think that you've done anything wrong if that's how you've done it. As long as you've done a save, from Photoshop, like you you were in Lightroom, you had all your photos selected, then you said you wanted to merge them over in Photoshop, it loads them up. As soon as you hit save when you're done, it should um, create, hopefully it's a TIFF that you're creating. Mm-hmm. Um, are you doing a TIFF or a PSD? Do you know? It's doing it's doing a TIFF. Okay, good. That's the one I would recommend. Then, yeah, that's, that's exactly how it's supposed to work, and that should show up there. Um, sounds like you may have seen some kind of a bug in the past. And I, they have had some updates where they've fixed problems with the, the merging or with the round tripping. So, okay. I, I think it's just a bug. I don't think you've done anything wrong. Okay. If it's collections, that's one place where you can get in trouble. Cause if you were in a collection or sorry, if you weren't in the collection, when you were doing the merge, then you went to a collection. Of course, that photo is not going to end up in the collection. So that's where I've also seen it be where it's not showing up is when you use collections. Um, okay. So folder search performance was the next one, which I didn't know was a problem. I guess it's, there were some that were having issues, really large catalogs, which I have a pretty good sized catalog and I hadn't really done this, but again, I don't spend a lot of time in the library module in the folders panel, which is where you do this. So you can search for photos there in the in the folder panel. You can search for directories, folders, and to find them. And apparently when there were enough of them, there was performance problems. So they've solved this by creating a yet another cache file in Lightroom. So you're going to have yet another Lightroom file that's going to get created, like the catalog files and the uh, camera raw cache. And there's there's all kinds of caches. It, it's a really good way to solve a lot of performance problems. So they've created a new one, and it's it makes it so that the search works better. Either of you ever use photo folder search? <laughs> no, not at all. No. When, I, when I did use Lightroom, my the way that I would import photos was not super useful because I wouldn't label anything as upon import. So that would be what it was uh, useful. And I'm not like yes. looking back and saying, Hmm, was that June 3rd? Let's look up June 3rd in the fold folder search <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, not a feature that I, uh, a feature that I care about is they, they've added here. Okay. The next one is H E I F support. You guys know what H E I F is? Uh, Apple's newer JPEG format. (laughs) (laughs) It says in our show notes that it's Apple's newer JPEG format. (laughs) I win. I got that one right. (laughs) Yes. So when Apple released iOS 11 about a little over a year ago, um, they introduced a brand new file format that all of their photos would be taken natively in this format. And then if you shared photos or tried to copy them to your computer, it would it would change it. But while it was on the phone, it was HEIF. And so they immediately had to add support for that into Lightroom Mobile since people are running Lightroom on their phones and need yeah. to be able to use it. So they did that pretty quick, but now it also is supported on the desktop. So 
Um, again, it, when you copy stuff from the phone over, it kind of auto converts it because of compatibility problems. But it's good that it's there. I think there is a way to do it so that it, it stays in HEIF. It, the reason that they like this new format is it's it's a better um, compression algorithm. So it, gets oh, okay. really, it's, it makes stuff way smaller in file size. You can store way more photos on your phone with it without a degradation in image quality. In fact, they kind of, they say that it should be better than the JPEG format on image quality, even though the file size is smaller. So it's just kind of an update. JPEG has been around for an eternity and HEIF is, is kind of a new thing. I did a photo taco episode on it. If people are interested. All right. Um, the last new feature that was, that they talked about was no more posting to Facebook. So it's not really a feature. I guess it's taking away a feature. Um, Lightroom publishing service. So it's there in the export functionality, or I guess it's in, uh, in library too, but you can, you could, <laughs> you could use Lightroom publishing service to publish photos directly to Facebook. Brian or Connor, do either of you use that function, that function? No, a few no, times. I <laughs> yeah. I have never used it. Um, if I'm going to post to Facebook, I like to control the, the plugins inside of Lightroom tend to not offer all the features you have all these all the different uh, social media things are changing constantly on the features that they have so they really don't have much of a chance anyone who's built plugins especially because the apis that they rely upon um, don't usually allow you to use the very newest features they they're kind of behind so anyway the the reason they have to do this is facebook is changing their apis it's not going to work the same way that it used to and they're not updating it so that is going to be going away. You won't be able to publish directly to, to Facebook from Lightroom. Yeah, the, the few feature. times that I did try and post to Facebook, I always found that um, the because, as you said, that you don't have nearly as much control over the ways yeah. that it's done. The formatting just never quite looked how I wanted right, it to. It right. just wasn't right. So I, I wouldn't miss that even if I was still using Lightroom. <laughs> right. Yep. Uh, it's kind of... I don't like any of them. I don't, I've tried plugins. I've tried all kinds of things in Lightroom. Uh, it would be nice if it would work really well, but I, like I said, they just don't really have a chance. There's all these features when you post that you want to be able to use, and that'd be really, really hard to make work well inside of Lightroom and, and have it and, and support it, keep it updated as they're changing it. They change so fast, that would be tough. So, okay, question for you guys because I yeah. hear, I think I've heard you guys and others talk all the time about, you know, when I export it for Facebook, I make sure that I do this. When I export it for Instagram, I make sure I do that. Like, People, some people are hardcore about that, but I just don't care. And I don't have the time <laughs> to sit there and change the different settings. Like I export them all in a very large file size into the folder on my desktop. And then if I want to post it to social media from there, I do. Does it look as great? Maybe not. I mean, I don't sit there and notice. Oh, actually, maybe I should take that back. Maybe I should ask Connor how he does his because I just shared before we started recording that. Connor's portraits are just amazing and they look amazing on my computer. No, they are. They are. And so maybe you do something different for those, but like, I don't do that. And do I feel like I've lost jobs because of that? No. Do I feel that, you know, somebody looks at that and says, Oh, Brian, your quality of your images are horrible. Nobody's posted that yet or made any comments. Like, do you think it even really matters? Um, I, I think it matters a bit specifically because of facebook so i um 
when I export my photos, I have a web export setting that I have um, set up both when I was using Lightroom and now that I'm using Capture One. And it's just based on the long edge. Uh, I don't remember what the exact number is. 2048, I think. That's what I'd recommend is 2048. Yep. 2048 um, uh, pixels across at 70 DPI. And that's that's because that's what Facebook has said it likes. And if you post photos to Facebook with anything more than the, that that length on the long edge of the pixels it'll um, do its own kind of compression and i just find that the, the photos look super crunchy and like over sharpened on facebook i haven't noticed that anywhere else um but i i export everything based on that setting that facebook has um also for me because i i'm a portrait photographer um and i post a lot of photos well, when I do post um, on Instagram, uh, I post in a vertical format. And for whatever reason, Instagram uses a four by five aspect ratio instead of a two by three aspect ratio as their limit. Um, you can go as lo- as wide as you want to in landscape um, orientation photos. But for right. some reason, in portrait orientation, you can't post a full two by three. Um, so I actually end up extending the the sides of most of my frames on either side to match in a four by five aspect ratio um, so that I don't have to choose to crop either the top or the bottom of the image. If I have the person framed the way that I want them to, I will create a, a photo that I export in a four by five aspect ratio with the long edge at 2048. Okay, so let me tell you what I, I've done a bunch of testing on this. Um, I've had, I've heard recommendations from all kinds of people with all kinds of things to do when you post this. Facebook in particular <laughs> is the one I tested the most, and it did not matter what settings I used. Facebook re-encoded the photo. Period. Just every single time. They don't care. They don't check it to see is it certain DPI, which doesn't matter anyway because yeah. it's just pixels. Um, they don't check any of that. They send every single photo that comes into them through their engine to, uh, to make it as small as they possibly can. I mean, you can understand why they're, they're taking what millions of photos every day it, are accepting millions of photos every day from people. And they have to store those on a hard drive somewhere. So they're paying for the bandwidth that's coming to them for all those photos. And they're paying for the storage space for all those photos. So they want to make those as tiny as they possibly can um, and, and still make it so that you can at least see what the photo kind of looked like, <laughs> but they don't, they don't really care that they're destroying the photos because they have to keep, make them as small as they can. So it won't matter what your settings are. I know people are going to try to tell you that it matters, but it doesn't. They re-encode it every time. Sorry. Even if you exported two different photos, the exact same photo with two different settings. And if you put them in Lightroom, people won't be able to tell the difference. I don't think the material will be able to tell the difference. Now it, it, you could, um, I mean, there will be some, some ways, like if you exported it at a really tiny resolution, let's say 800 by 600 <laughs> kind of resolution or something, then it doesn't have much to work with. And it's going to look like garbage when it gets out there. I mean, it already kind of does. It really doesn't matter that much. How, how, what resolution you export it. But, um, so the only reason I do two different exports, one for social and one for um, one that has the full resolution, 
when I post it up to Facebook, I don't want to wait forever for it to yeah. get up there. So I, so I'm, I want the file size to be smaller too. And the only time I worry about getting the full resolution up there is if I'm putting it up on my website for my client. Other than that, I'm going to use the one that I exported for social, which is 2048 on the longest edge. That's going to be high enough quality for on-screen usage for almost anything. And uh, then the only other time I might change something is aspect ratios really matter for Twitter and for Instagram, uh, Facebook, not as much. So if I'm going to, if I really care about this one photo and I, I want to have it look nice on the social media platform, have it look like it should, I will actually format it differently for Twitter, for Instagram and for Facebook, just the aspect ratio to make sure it doesn't get cut off and they can see the whole photo and and uh, enjoy the whole thing instead of it like cropping in some weird way. So am I just absolutely crazy thinking that when I have uploaded photos that were longer than twenty forty eight that they 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 look sharp like they look like they've been sharpened in a weird way that just it looks really crunchy and bad. Given the last time I did this was probably two or three years ago um, when I finally realized oh maybe I should pay attention to the way that I'm exporting. But I swear it looks different when you upload larger photos. It could be it could be the the algorithm they're they're using something proprietary like they created yeah. their own thing there. It's it's not a, a normal kind of anything else that's out there so and i assume that they are constantly changing it to try to make it so they can get as high a quality thing as they can as in as little a file size as possible yeah so i'm sure they're constantly working on that and developing that process so it it probably changes some over time it would be good experiment connor to see if it if you thought that mattered if 2048 or even 4096 or something like that if there was a, a difference in how it looked um, but I, I would guess it's probably going to come out pretty close these days. And the Fair only enough. the only difference is you're now having to spend all that all your bandwidth and time. And for people who have to pay for their bandwidth, that's a big concern. Yeah, you may as there's there's really no value in doing anything that's really large when you're updating uploading to social media. You may as well just make it smaller. Makes sense. All right. So so next. It- um, bug fixes. You were talking about Lightroom still, and we got super sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So just to wrap up this this topic here, there's there are some support for some new cameras and lenses. You can go look those up if you're interested. We'll put a link in the show notes to this stuff. And then uh, bug fixes, which this is the stuff I actually care about. So we went through the features. I don't care if Adobe does not add a single new feature for a while. I want them to focus on making Lightroom more stable and more importantly, more performant. I really want them to focus on that. So I personally don't care if these things were relatively kind of like, eh, I don't, these features aren't that big a deal to me Yeah, because it's the, it's the bug fixes that I want them to focus on. I want them to spend the majority of their engineering resources on fixing bugs and making it work faster. So here's, here's the stuff that they said they fixed. They don't say everything they fix. They only talk, they only mark bugs as fixed in the forums. So that's how we get the information was they marked those things as fixed and they don't talk, they don't itemize every single bug that they've, they've fixed. So we don't know all of them, but they say there's a lot more than even what's listed. So one of them is there was, um, and I've even saw some people in photo taco asking about this. Lightroom was crashing. If you disconnected an external hard drive on windows only. So if you had your if you had some photos in your catalog stored on one hard drive, external hard drive, and then you needed to like unplug it and put in a different one, 
because you have other photos in your same catalog, like your catalog stored on your main computer, but the photos themselves are on external drives, then it would crash if you unplugged the one drive. Even if you did it the right way, like you you said, either in Finder or sorry, it was Windows only. So even if you ejected the drive in Windows, the proper way to eject it, Lightroom would still crash and they fixed that. So it doesn't crash anymore when you do that. Another one, this was a big one to me. Um, on the Mac, it has been broken for quite some time, uh, like more than a year, they think, where the backups that were being made when you exit Lightroom and it says you want to make a backup of your catalog, they were failing and the backups actually couldn't be read. Ooh. So that that was bad. People count on those things and they weren't working right. And so they fixed that. They fixed that bug. Um, preset conversions. So they've had a massive problem with 7.3. They introduced a new version of presets and the profiles. And there were lots of presets that were not converting properly. They've said that they believe they fixed all of the issues there now. We'll see. But that was one of the reasons I was saying, if you use presets, don't go to 7.3. And now with 7.4, hopefully it's fixed and, and we'll be able to recommend it. Then the last thing is there were 12 plus bugs in the develop module, various ones that they've said they fixed. So that's really good. I'm glad to see that they're working on those kinds of things. And I, I just want to make sure that the listeners know if you've encountered a bug, like Brian, that bug potential bug that you've seen where the photos doesn't show up, that happens a bunch. Don't just take it and it's like, oh, it's just stupid Lightroom. I wish they'd fix this stuff. If they don't hear from you, they don't know. <laughs> they don't know to fix stuff. So feedback.photoshop.com is the forum. You go over there. You post your issue. They'll either say, "Oh, we already know about this," or "Here's a workaround," or they might say, uh, "Ask you more for more information so they can figure out what's going on." So if you have a a thing that's really causing you problems, don't just sit and take it. Go and let them know. Feedback.photoshop.com. All right. So that's it about. Lightroom Classic CC. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah I, I especially liked what you said about the performance being so important because, I mean, honestly, that is the reason that I left using Lightroom was because the performance was having so many issues. Um, so, Jeff, keep me updated if the bug fixes get to a point where the performance is actually well, working super well. So, to be, to, I can tell you, Connor, I could, I could walk you through a workflow that would make it work for you. I know I could. The one feature that I think would be a problem for you still would be tethering is still not really good. Yeah, That's still and, and a problem. I I doubt that they're going to. I mean, nope. out of all of the other issues that they have, that they're still not fixing tethering is so low on the list. Right. I'm not saying that I would give up entirely on using what I use now. I I really like Capture One, but there, there is a workflow that I've gone through um, in pretty good detail on Photo Taco to talk through the the way that you use uh, the previews, embedded previews. It's called the embedded preview workflow. Um, that makes it work really well, really yeah. fast. But the problem is you shouldn't have to go through this. Hey, here's how you can work in Lightroom and yeah. make it actually work. That, that shouldn't take instruction to make that happen. It should just work. Yeah. And it doesn't. And I, I really think if they added that coal module, it would really resolve a lot of the issues people had with the uh, performance problems. I just wish they'd do that. Yeah, that, that would definitely be that would be very nice if they did that. <laughs> did you have a question, Brian? No, I just was <laughs> don't don't take this personally, but at the same time, take this personally. Like, <laughs> okay, everything you just talked about, I don't care about. Uh -huh. like, <laughs> I don't I don't care about all this stuff with Lightroom. What I care yep. is that it works, and so I am so grateful that there are geeks like you, which yes, you admit yes. to be a geek. So I'm not absolutely. Like, I am 
I'm so <laughs> grateful for people like you that are out there that do care about all this and pay attention to it because I don't, but like, I think I freak out when there are problems and, but I, but then they end up working next time. So I know that the people like you, when you freak out, you do something about it and you get it fixed. So I'm grateful for all this research that you do. Cause I know you spend a whole lot of time going through this and finding this out. And although I don't care about it, I'm glad that you do it and that you share it with us. <laughs> but you know, that, that's exactly kind of what I'm hoping it'll be. I, I hope the majority of the listeners are just like you, Brian, that they don't want to have to go figure all this stuff out. They don't want to go look at like this stuff that I just went over. It's in the release notes from Adobe. So uh, a listener could easily go and just read for themselves what the release notes are. But I'm hoping that what they'd rather have is people like us on a podcast like this, talking through it, sharing our opinion, sharing, do we use this? Do we care? Why does it matter? And in this case, it, the majority of this update is really a, a so what? Absolutely true. But there's bug fixes that are happening. That might be important. That might be mm-hmm. something that's really good. I'm hoping 7.4 is going to finally be an update in probably since the beginning of the year. I haven't really been able to recommend an update from from, a, from Adobe on Lightroom. So I'm hoping 7.4 will now be kind of this stable release that I can recommend for most photographers so that, that's the, that I can say that's the one to use. And then if they kind of screw it up going forward, that I can say, just go back to 7.4. <laughs> that's a good release. That's a stable one that has, uh, it, it's, it's a good place to be and not worry about kind of stuff in the future. I, as I was looking at this stuff today, actually, I saw from, <laughs> from Tony Northrup, um, he, he posted out on Twitter that um, it, he feels like Lucy and the football and Charlie Brown with every Adobe update. <laughs> and he's like, should I go? I'm going to kick that football this time. And it's going to work, right? They're, they're going to actually have a version of Lightroom that's going to have no bugs in it. And I'm going to be able to use it. And uh, so it's kind of funny, funny way to put it. So, so is your current advice to everyone, at least for the moment, to hold off until you have some more testing with it? Yes. For, for 7.4... It, I'm guessing this is going to be a stable release. They didn't do a lot in the way of feature updates. It it seems like it's going to it's it was highly focused on bugs and resolving them and so but but give it a little bit. So not only am I going to put it through the paces, I'll make sure I do a number of of edits uh, of photo shoots edits through it, but I'm going to watch those feedback forums in in Photoshop feedback forums and they it doesn't take long for people to go in and just trounce them and say, there's this problem and this problem and this problem. And what's going on, Adobe? Come on, can't you put out a product that works? And so it's good to get that information. The only reason 7.3 was one I couldn't recommend was so many problems with presets. So um, it was close. And I, I'm hoping they got the preset stuff fixed enough that 7.4 will be one I can recommend soon. Awesome. Well, moving on from here, let's get into our next topic for the show. Um, Before we get too far into it, Brian, I want you to tell everybody where they might be able to see this, because this section, we're going to be talking about how you got a certain shot that you did recently with your kid, which was pretty awesome. Um, So where where can people see this photo that we're going to be talking about? Ah, Thanks. Uh, I do have it on Facebook uh, that I posted there, but also mainly on my Instagram, which is at Brian McGuckin. Awesome. Uh, I, I'm going to work on making a tutorial because I've had a handful of people just ask if they could see kind of a, how I got the shot. Yeah. But um, yeah, so until then, I figured I'd kind of share it with you guys here. Fair enough. Well, um, for anybody that might not be right next to their phone at the moment, I'm going to do the best job that I can in describing this photo. Um, it is a photo of Brian's son in 
like diving sideways in the air about to kick a soccer ball and it's super cool and impressive and it, he froze the action in a really cool way um so let, let's talk a little bit about this um what what was your process in making a photo like this uh, good question so if you look at my feed on instagram you'll notice most of the pictures are more of action sports you know whether it's shooting something for nfl or some of my own kids you know playing out on fields or it's weddings or it's travel i don't do much portraiture um but it's it's fun and i'm trying to force myself to learn and to experience it a little bit more and i'm motivated by uh, photographers like you uh connor just with your amazing portraits however i tried to adapt it to my passion i guess which is my children yeah. And so all four, I have four kids. I have a daughter who is uh, 16 and then three boys. And they're all passionate about things and filled with tons of energy. And they like themselves. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> a good way to put it. They, you know, I think the world today, kids uh, with selfies and everything, they love to see pictures of themselves. And so I feel as a photographer, why not help them just capture some great images of themselves so that when they're older, they can be like, hey, look at this picture of me that my dad took. Yeah. So you may have seen in the past, I did a picture. My daughter wanted to do some pictures of kind of like throwing snow up in the air. And she kind of had an idea, uh, but she didn't have a great vision for it. And so what it ended up turning into, there were two, which one was her blowing some powder snow off her hand that we did. Um, with one flash that just was crazy easy but then the really fun one was tossing flour she yeah. wanted to put some colored flour in her hair and then whip her hair and and uh, you know have the flesh lighted up and everything which I, we experimented with it and at first we just took some white flour and I had her kind of just toss it and kind of bend as she tossed it and it made this really cool effect which if you look at my Instagram you can see it there so I was able to get a really good shot of my daughter and what I feel kind of captures her. Well, I've got three boys and my middle son is like hardcore into anything that he's hardcore into at that time. <laughs> sometimes it's, which if, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's Legos. Uh, sometimes it's horses. Uh, it's been dirt biking. It's been hunting and it's been football. And he, he likes the gear. He likes to, you know. He wants to have the stuff, which yeah. because we know him, we we don't feed off that because we know it's going to change. Right? <laughs> it's you know? not going to last. Yeah. Right, right. I can relate How, to this kid. I, I yeah. was totally that way. As a photographer, I'm the same way with photography gear. You know, it's I want this gear and that gear and so forth. Well, soccer is something that uh, we're just noted that I'm noticing that he really is pretty darn good at. You know, better than I was at his age. Yeah, And so with it being the World Cup right now, uh, we've been watching some games and I thought it'd be cool to kind of get an action soccer shot of my son with a kind of similar setup to what I did with my daughter. And the purpose of it, the vision I have is just a, a black background and then blasting light on them to kind of freeze them in the shot. Yeah, And I first came across this really with uh, in the very beginning when I had first heard of Jim Harmer and improved photography about how you could do a shot like this in the middle of the day. 
you know, and have a black background. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. That's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I tried it once. And I'm like, oh, it actually works. But uh, to make it easier for me, I figured, well, I can just do this, you know, later in the evening at night. Yeah. And that will kind of help darken the background and make it a stronger photo. So to explain this image for you, it's my son up in the air, kind of horizontal, about to kick a ball. The background is all black behind him. He's wearing um, an, uh, like Olympic, or not Olympic, but uh, an American soccer shirt. And he's got some shorts on and fishing guards and cleats. And then there's a layer of grass below him. So I, I kind of have this vision in my head. And the setup is just so easy. And I just, I want to try to encourage photographers to just go out and try this stuff. You know, people are, I've had a handful of comments about how, from photographers, how it's a great shot and they wish they could do that. But they can, because if I can yeah. do it, they can do it. It's not that hard. Now, I don't feel this is to the level of some of the flash photography that you do, Connor, because your lighting is just unbelievable. No, right. I really believe that. Um, so this is more of what I'm just going to call it like a triangle setup to where uh, basically I was down on the ground shooting up, which kind of yeah. helps him look up higher in the sky. I had a flash to my left, a flash to my right, and then I had a flash um, kind of in front of me and to my right behind my son. So it would kind of help give some light from oh, okay, yeah. behind him to kind of help separate, you know, and highlight some things on him a little bit. Yeah. So uh, I just had him go over there and my settings, I wanted to create, I wanted the background to be black. So uh, I think I started shooting probably around nine o'clock at night. So it was still somewhat light out, but starting to get darker here in Indiana. And I had a, a small aperture. So it was F11. So that way, you know, if, if I was shooting wide open, it'd be bringing in a lot more light. So yeah. I shot at F11. I had my flashes. My ISO was, uh, I think it was ISO 1000. And I had my flashes set to about one-fourth power. And I, I shoot with young mules. And I did have, um, I, I had them in a little diffuser box, nothing fancy. And uh, as I shot, I knew that my shutter speed had to be fast enough to freeze him, but I can't shoot too fast or else I'm going to get the banding. Yeah. Um, which kind of, you probably understand banding better than I do. So will you explain it for a second? Yeah. In, in fact, um, Jeff and I talked about this just the other week in, in the podcast. So the banding, what's happening there is that your camera has a max sync speed, which just means a shutter speed at which the it is able to open and fire the flash while the whole shutter is entirely open. Um, and anything faster than that in your shutter speed, it means that your shutter opens, starts to close a little bit, and then the camera is able to fire the flash. And as such, you get a black band at the bottom or the top, where whichever direction your shutter opens in and starts to close again, because the shutter is partially closed by the time the flash fires off. Thank you. Yep. Well done. And if you don't understand that, someday you're going to panic because you're going to see that half your photo is black and you're going to wonder why and you're going to research it and find out. That's what happened to me. <laughs> so typically around one two hundredth of a second seems to be kind of a magic number for shutter speeds. So I was shooting a little bit slower than that at first, but I noticed that because my son was moving, he was blurring. Yeah. And basically, I just had him jump up in the air and kind of go horizontal and do a kick over and over and over. 
And then finally we got smart enough and we said, well, hey, go get that crib mattress that's under our bed that we use for when our kids are sick. And so then he was smiling after that because he wasn't landing on the hard ground each time. He was landing on the, <laughs> on the crib mattress. So uh, after jumping over and over, I realized that I needed to be faster. So it ended up being about one two hundredth of a second. And I actually shot it at one two hundred fiftieth, which did create a little bit of banding at the bottom of my photo. Yeah. But that didn't matter to me because my son was in the top part of the yeah. composition. And it allowed me to be a little bit faster to, to help freeze him. Makes so sense. we just did it over and over and over until his body was in the shot that we needed. Um, one thing we were, that we were noticing was where his eyes were going to be. Because, you know, we told him, like, you've got to look where you're going to be kicking the ball. And there was no ball involved in any of this yet. Yeah. We just kept doing it over it was, and over. It was all about the jump and you're going to put the ball in later. Right. Right. So then after we got a, a few decent jumps, um, which his, he wanted to do like a dive, like a goalie saving it. And he wanted to have a net behind him. And so we started with some dives. But I really liked this kick uh, the most. Yeah. So then after we got the the shot we needed of him jumping, I had him stand in the same spot and I had him just toss the ball to about where the ball was going to be. So that way the distance was accurate and it didn't look like the ball was too big or too small. It, it actually is the right size in about the right position. So I had a, a photo of the ball and then I also had another photo that I did um, with no ball, no mattress, no kid, just to have the ground in it. And I don't do compositions much at all. And so that's what I'm hoping right here for those of you listening, just to kind of encourage you with how easy this can be. Uh, so we got all the shots. We got what we needed, came back in. And basically I needed, well, actually, well, yeah, I needed three photos. The one yeah. of him jumping that I loved, uh, one that had the ball about how I wanted it to be. And then one with no mattress underneath him. And yeah. so I, I, took the main photo of him jumping and I edited it in Lightroom. And one thing that I love to do with the sports and editing photos of my kids is bump up the clarity because it brings out the like edginess in their hair. Yeah, the grunge. Yeah. 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 And I, yeah. I love that with sports action, especially with my kids with their hair. And so I took that photo and then I took, which one next? I took the ball photo. Um, no, no, I took, I took the photo of just the grass and the photo of him. And I don't know the best way to do this, but I'm just telling you how I did it. Yeah. And I opened them up side by side in, in Lightroom. I didn't do layers because I were in Photoshop because I'm not good at layers yet. So I opened it up side by side and I just clicked and did the clone. So I cloned, um, his body oh, okay. about where I wanted it to be to where it looked like he was up in the air a little bit but not too much. Yeah. So does that make sense? So I had it side by side and did that. Yeah. Totally. Uh, and then once, once I had the shot, how I needed, then I brought in the, another photo side by side next to of just the ball. And I put the ball where I needed it to be. And then I was basically done. Then I just saved it back into Lightroom, put a little bit of a dark vignette around it. And that was it. And so like, my point is it's extremely, well, I shouldn't say extremely easy to do, but it's very <laughs> feasible that any photographer can do it. Yeah. It, it helped that I had three lights and I just had to pay attention to make sure that he was looking the, the direction I needed him to be. But there wasn't anything super complex about this, in my opinion. 
it seems like the key thing that you got there that I think most photographers struggle with is you knew you had to have the three shots. Yeah. Um, because if, if you come back and you're going to try to edit the photo later, you're like, oh, gosh, I, forgot I need, the, I need the ground without <laughs> that stupid mat there. That becomes really hard to solve at that point. Yeah. 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 Because I didn't want to. I didn't want to like download an image and right. clone him onto it. Right. Uh, he still he still wanted um, a net behind him, but I said, "Bud, if if you're kicking the ball like this, the net wouldn't be behind you. You'd be trying to kick it into <laughs> yeah, the right." And he's like, right. "Okay, yeah, you're right on that." <laughs> so, so, so what you're saying is you saved yourself some trouble in having yes. to put a net behind. <laughs> I did, and I talked him into loving this photo. <laughs> no, and and it's really great like it's something that honestly i would have thought that this was all a single shot um well and, because you're good enough to do it in a single shot oh stop no no like just because it looks completely believable is what i'm saying like it it, it looks like it's all done i honestly i'm amazed I were, that you did this without layers i wow yeah that part is also because <laughs> <laughs> i'm not smart enough to do layers like i i just I don't spend enough time in Photoshop. I've, I'm really good at cloning. And so I just have in the past known that if I just have one photo next to the other, yeah. I can basically clone it wherever I need it to. That and makes it, total sense. I just have never thought of doing it that way. Yeah. It's, yeah. Cool. It's, just, it's easier for me for how I see things. I mean, I mean that's, yeah. that's one thing that I've talked about a lot in Photoshop, especially is there's six to ten different ways to do any single thing that you're doing. So yeah, whatever right, works right. for you and whatever is looking the way that you want it to look, it doesn't really matter how you got there. It's about the results. And in this instance, the results are, are great. It, it really looks super believable. That's the cool thing, though. I, I love the stuff that you've been doing recently, Brian, because you're, you're stretching yourself. You're making yourself learn some new things. And that's something that all of us you should engage to do, no matter what level we're at currently. Yeah. If, uh, if you're just a beginner, then just getting a flash involved somehow is, is really something that helps you advance and learn. And then uh, if you're more like Brian's got three of them now and he's doing some compositing, that's great. Uh, and if you're a more professional photographer who's who's done it, then Connor's got a lot of work that he's doing that's stretching him too with with more advanced composites and, and putting people into like old fashioned rooms or yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. And uh, it's really cool. It's it's just a really good way to keep your advance your photography advancing so that you you're continually learning. It's I, I hope I'm never done. <laughs> that would that would be really sad because th this is the hobby I want to do for like the rest of my life. I'm looking forward to the time when I, I retire from my day job so that I can do my hobby for myself just for fun forever. It'll be really cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I part of what I like about it so much is there's so much to learn. There's so many things to go and experiment with and do. And I'm really looking forward to that. Just having that for the whole rest of my life. I just want to encourage people just get out and try, you know, make mistakes and that's how you learn and, and you right. just experiment from it. Uh, so I, I'm going to put, so the weather here has been horrible. It's been like a heat index of like 106. Oh, so wow. we haven't gone back outside to kind of show to do a, how I got the shot video yet, but I, I'm going to do that soon and I'll have that up. Uh, I basically, I'm not a YouTuber, but I'm, starting to try to make some things to help people and I'll put it on my YouTube channel eventually yeah. and I'll share it on my Facebook group and in the master photography podcast group as well. But just go out and, and try it. You know, I, I did have a trigger on top of my camera that triggered off 
it's a young right. mule trigger that triggered off the three flashes and you just, you make mistakes and, and you learn. So this is my version of Connor's portraits. You know, I, I can't make somebody <laughs> look pretty standing there, but I figured putting some action in, you know, to it is something that I enjoy. And this is the same sun. If you do look through my feed, you will see kind of a, a portrait of a baseball player. So this is the same one for that. So my challenge now is I have two boys that I haven't yet really gotten a picture of. Um, and one's into golf. So I'm trying to think of a golf photo. If it's something where it shows him swinging and you see the club in multiple spots. Uh, oh. I'm, not sh- I'm not sure yet. And then my other son has right now, he has really long hair. And because he wants to wear a man bun, <laughs> he's eight years old. <laughs> um, and he's been doing soccer, but he's about to start flag football. So I've got to think of one for him. But yeah, so my next focus is trying to come up with um, a shot for my son who is 13, who's a golfer. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I really like the message there of just getting out and experimenting and trying to uh, find something new, learn something new by just trying. And you know what? Sometimes we fail and it's okay to go out and try something and fail and make mistakes and figure out ways to do it better because um, that's the only way that you're going to learn and develop your toolbox and have all the tools that you want to create whatever you want, whenever you want. That was a weird way to say that. <laughs> so anyway, every week we come to you with a doodad of the week. The, these are little things that we think you might want to buy, things that are going to be useful in your photography life or your day-to-day life. So, Jeff, let's start off with you. What is your doodad this week? Okay, so it's it would be a terrible stretch to try to say this has anything to do with photography. But <laughs> since people are listening to this, it means they're podcast listeners and they probably want are are always looking for good ways to listen to podcasts. So I want to recommend, I've gone through a whole ton of Bluetooth connected listening devices, trying to find one that works without spending like a lot of money on them. And most of them are garbage. I'll be (laughs) be very (laughs) honest there. Uh, You get what you pay for often. And it definitely applies here with Bluetooth headphones. Um, The ones I've tried that are are on the least or the less expensive side generally are are not worth it it's it's so much better to just go buy something that's actual quality but this is one that i've had for a while now and has actually lasted it does a good job with the noise canceling i use it to exercise every day so um i'm putting it through the paces pretty good and it is it's doing super well and it's not very expensive so it's the m pow pow h5 active noise canceling bluetooth headphones and they're only 45 bucks so i love them they're that that is a great price for a pair of bluetooth headphones that's for sure and they're they're over ear style style over ear right? style yeah that's right not not earbuds they're over the ear yep awesome. my wife got me for my birthday she got me um the apple airpods uh-huh. and oh, yeah. earbuds and I, I love those it's just it's nice to be wireless you know to it not is. be connected i can leave my phone in one spot as i'm moving around the room and yeah so nice yeah, I it, love the way the over-the-ear do with the noise canceling. So, like, when I'm exercising, I'm watching TV while I'm doing it, and otherwise I won't exercise. So I have to <laughs> distract myself from the fact that I'm exercising. Absolutely. And, and uh, it does a great job. Like, the whole the, the house could be on fire, and I probably wouldn't know. because it's, <laughs> it's just noise canceled out, and it's, it's great. Yeah, and I've actually been looking for a pair of over-ear headphones and specifically looking at things that are Bluetooth, but I don't want to spend $400 for some of the more expensive ones. So I'm I'm definitely going to be checking these ones out. Yeah, these are great. 
Now, Jeff, you stole you stole my saying for you get what you pay for because you saw that uh, on our uh, document here from my doodad. Because my doodad is a crib mattress, and I know that sounds silly, but if you have children, like it's extremely useful. We keep it underneath our bed for when a kid doesn't feel well, if they're going to need to lay in the bathroom, or if a kid tries to climb in our bed, we can just knock them off and make them lay on the (laughs) crib mattress. But like, and unfortunately, we didn't think about it until like 20 minutes into my son jumping and getting sore. But the crib mattress is great for any type of action, you know, type photos that you want to do that are, are portraits. And it, it was light and convenient, but you do get what you pay for, you know, because if you're jumping on a mattress and the first time you jump on it and the spring just flattens and you can't do it again, well, then... <laughs> It's not that not that useful. So right. uh, I don't have a specific one to recommend other than if you're wanting to do this type of portrait shots, having a crib mattress can be extremely helpful for the kids. Yeah, absolutely. That, that makes sense to try and break the person's fall. That's something that in the action shots I've done before, I'm like, just try and catch yourself and please don't break your neck. So having <laughs> something that they could just actually fall on makes a lot of sense. So yeah, my doodad is a free doodad um at least i I believe it's still free um it is a service that i use a lot it's a plugin for gmail called boomerang and i use this a lot for my business but it's also nice in general because um i have a tendency to i i want to respond to people right away when i get emails but at the same time i don't want to encourage people um especially clients and people that i'm dealing with to think that they can email me at nine o'clock at night and i'm going to respond to them and boomerang is awesome because when i do happen to get those nine o'clock at night emails i can write right i can follow through and write my response in the way that i feel inclined to do right then because otherwise i'm going to forget but then i'm able to set it up to have a delayed delivery so i'll wait until business hours the next day and send a response then but i don't have to remember in the morning oh yeah that person emailed me last night i need to go back so it's called boomerang it's a a free plugin i feel like they have paid services that go along with it that um, you can get some additional features but i just mainly use it for rescheduling stuff later on so that's my doodad. Well, cool. thank. Oh, sorry. That's great. <laughs> awesome. Um, so just a few reminders right before we go. Uh, the Master Photography Podcast is on its own website now. It's masterphotographypodcast.com. That's the new home of the show. You can go there and um, check it out. We, we currently are just having blog posts there. Uh, not blog post, but the episodes post there, but we will be updating it with more information as things progress further along. If you're not already a part of our Facebook group, please go and join that. It's Master Photography Podcast. You can search it on Facebook. And Jeff, I, if I remember correctly, they can still search for Improved Photography Podcast. Is that correct? Yeah, at least for now. I don't know if it'll ever change, but yeah, for now, you can still find it that way. Fair enough. Well, if you happen to be searching that way, you can still find us that way. Um, When you go in and try and enter, make sure that you enter one of our names um, to show that you are a real person who listens to the show and not just some spam bot. We actually just got hit by a huge swarm of them recently, Um, and thankfully, we were able to just immediately delete all of them because nobody was answering the question of who Mm -hmm. any of the podcasters were on the network. So go ahead and do that. 
Um, and then you can find Brian's work at brianmcguckin.com on Facebook at Brian McGuckin Photography, Twitter at Brian McGuckin, and Instagram at Brian McGuckin. You can find me at www.connorhibbs.photography or on Instagram at Connor Hibbs Photography. And Jeff is jsharmanphotos.com and Photo Taco Podcast. Um, and let's see. You can find Jeff on Facebook at Harmon Jeff on Twitter at Harmon underscore Jeff <laughs> and on Instagram at Harmon yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We hope it was a fun one for you and we will talk to you again in another seven days. Bye.